This is CyberSound, your simplified and fundamentals-focused source for all things cybersecurity, with your hosts, Jason Pufall and Stephen Mareska. Welcome to CyberSound. I'm Jason Pufall, uh, joined as always by Steve Mareska and Matt Fasaro. Hey, guys. Hey. Hey, how are you? Good, thanks. Uh, so I think we're going to try to do a, a, a regular segment now where we talk a little bit about uh, sort of current threats, um, relay a little bit of information that we're getting from you know, really from existing clients and you know, challenges that they're facing uh, that might be relevant to our listeners. So uh, today, maybe starting a little bit with those sort of topics in the news, uh, you know, threats that we're seeing or you know, sort of creative cyber attacks that uh, are kind of new recently. Um, covered a couple of them here when we were when we were kind of planning for this. And I think the one that probably jumped out first was, you know, the, the Red Cross, which seems like, you know, seems like an organization you shouldn't, you probably shouldn't attack. But, uh, you know, anybody want to start with kind of what happened there? Yeah, I mean, it's, it is interesting, actually, now that you bring that up, that they did attack the Red Cross, because there seems to be kind of an accord going around a lot of the threat groups where they, they don't attack these types of systems. But uh, that this definitely was targeted right at the Red Cross. Uh, so their, their uh, main headquarters is in Geneva. Um, and I guess this is where they house a lot of their IT systems. Um, this particular uh, attack affected around 515,000 people that were receiving aid from the Red Cross. Um, so what they're saying is that the, this was, you know, the sophisticated attacker came in, which I'll give them this one. Uh, usually we don't like when we hear sophisticated attacker. There's usually not much of a attribution toward them being sophisticated when we see the details. But apparently there was a lot of like custom payloads that were created just for them. Um, I guess a lot of the, the, the scripts were uh, specifically targeting MAC addresses, custom software, things like that. So we'll, we'll give them the sophisticated one on this one. Um, but apparently, so the, this one had a dwell time of about 70 days or so. Uh, I think right now, we, what are we at, 200 or so days that we're seeing in most organizations for dwell time. Yeah, so that's almost, I mean, that's almost fast then, uh, you know, fast discovery in some way. 71 days is still a long time, but... Right. Yeah. I mean, it really does solidify that, hey, these guys are usually here for a while, right, before you actually find out what's going on. And unfortunate for them, they, they tripped over it when they were deploying an EDR system. So, you know, it could have been a longer dwell time, more in line with the average. But in this particular case, at least, uh, they found it and were able to take steps to get rid of the actual attack and the, the malicious actors. I think that the main takeaway is that it was at least associated with, if not caused by, a vulnerability. And, right. you know, a lot of the time, especially today, we talk about ransomware being um, initiated via phishing. That does not seem to be the case here. Um, interestingly, their disclosure buried quite deeply the platform that was affected, but this was Manage Engine um, AD self-service. So it's basically a tool used for people to manage their own passwords and that sort of thing. Right, yeah. A tool of convenience, that, you know, again, used against you. Uh, this is something we've seen in the wild too. You know, one of our incidents actually involved a, a similar system from uh, from Manage Engine. Um, yeah, I think the the takeaway here is especially for things that are involving your identities, make sure they're patched. 
you got to stay on top of them. Um, and they, I think they do admit a little bit, even in the ICRC, which is the, the Red Cross's organization, ICRC does say that, you know, we, we were trying to get to patching. We just didn't get to it in time. And then this is the result here, right? So I, ma- I imagine that's then where, where you're splitting hairs around, well, being a sophisticated attacker, but at the same time, they used an existing vulnerability, right? Which we see all of the time. So I think right. you know, your attribution for the sophisticated piece is really that they've created some custom some custom scripts or some custom content to exploit this? Yeah, almost more targeted than sophisticated. There, there was some uh, some tools used that apparently are not available. You know, if you go to GitHub or other places, you would normally find, you know, hacking tools or uh, any type of um, uh, malicious tools that you could find from like Metasploit or those packages that are out there. Uh, these are definitely tools that they developed themselves. I mean, it, it certainly it does demonstrate that like you know nobody's immune to this. You, you, know, you can't look at it and say, well, my company doesn't have data that's important, or my company operates in a space where you know there's this you know sort of tacit agreement that we're not going, they're not going to get targeted. Like you know everybody everybody's a target. Social services organizations like the Red Cross are are compelling targets for these organizations because they tend to involve um, you know identification of sure. people, you know, lots of PII. Uh, medical records and things of that variety. Yeah, the data is valuable. Right, right. Yeah. And, and with a multinational scope, too. So you, you hit that type of an org, you get a lot of people across the world all in one fell swoop. So, I mean, it's attractive if you're an attacker. Um, not so not so pleasant if you're the organization. So, you know, moving on, maybe, um, you know, it's what, mid-ish February, late February. Uh, tax season's upon us, and I think we're seeing some activity now with Intuit, right? Yep, absolutely. Uh, There's an attack that's ongoing over the last uh, several weeks, I'd say, where Intuit users are being phished, you know, totally unrelated to Intuit itself. Intuit, the company and its platform is totally unrelated. But uh, the message is that, you know, your account's going to be suspended due to inactivity, you know, making people feel nervous as they're getting ready to enter their taxes. So it's, it's timely, People are thinking about it. They're susceptible to it. And we wouldn't take, be entirely surprised to hear this occurring with the other agencies, the tax prep organizations. Um, basically, in this case, it's a phished email linked, um, invites the recipient to go to some website unaffiliated with Intuit, submits your username, password, and all of that. Now, what's the threat? Ultimately, if a threat actor has your username to a platform like that, um, you may be able to access prior tax returns, down the line submit fraudulent returns, get your return deposited in some uh, you know, banking mule account, something like that. That's the arc of an attack like this. Uh, yeah, especially the false filings. The, right. those, those are pretty impactful to people because it does take a while to actually get corrected. And usually you'll have to get some type of legal team on your side as well to fix all of that. So it's it's definitely something to watch out for. But yeah, it, it, Intuit is the unfortunate um, target of this almost every year now at this point. There's always something new every yeah, it's year. Just, it's just a market share thing, certainly. Yep. It makes sense. There's not much else to it, ultimately. It's you know the same message as usual. Uh, watch your recipients, make sure they're legitimate, and uh, watch your senders, make sure they're legitimate, and be wary of the links you click. Yeah. In, this, in this case, it seems like there may have been some sort of a payload malware that was delivered in addition to submitting uh, credentials. It makes sense, you know, tax preparation. If you're doing it via your computer, you probably have some files local. Um, I, I'm not too surprised there. So uh, yeah, I think one of the takeaways, though, is it, we don't want we certainly don't want 
people to hear this and limit their concern maybe to Intuit or you know, no, Tax, right, or any, you know, any, any of the companies that are like that. Like we've absolutely seen you know, larger larger companies who run their own payroll and you know, HR systems be targeted for almost exactly the same style of attack, right? So I think that the message really is it's tax season. People probably get anxious a little bit around tax season regardless. Uh, the, the, the opportunity to fish people is really high. Uh, so pay attention to your internal systems. You know, If you're an individual user, of course, pay attention to some of those other sites that you might use for individual preparation. Right. It's a it's a perfect storm for fishing. You know, urgency, uh, some anxiety around it. You know, the call to action is present in all of that, whether you're dealing with the federal government or tax preparers alike. So yep. stay Ta- alert. Taxes happen every year and, and the gift of fishing taxes. Yeah, it happens every year for sure. So, um, so moving on, and, and this is and honestly of the three, this is the one that uh, I, th- I think kind of gives makes my skin crawl more than anything else. Probably uh, the idea of you know, exposed credentials being used to imperson- impersonate somebody else through some of the common chat platforms, right? So I think team specific. Yeah, th- this is a, a recent event that disclosed that Teams is being used to actually distribute malware. Now, the attack setup is pretty um, pretty simple when you get down to it, but it is multi-stage. It starts with an initial user in an organization that uses collaborative tools like, like Teams being acquired through phishing. That user is then impersonated, the attacker logs in, and then subsequently does some organizational reconnaissance to figure out reasonable next targets. Now, the, the the real interesting part of this particular um, attack that, that's been disclosed is the fact that messages are created to send to some other person in the org with an attached piece of malware or an attachment that is malicious in some other way, a link, y- you name it. Bottom line, though, is that the communication seems to come from a valid source, the impersonated individual. Therefore, the recipient is more inclined to trust it because it comes through Microsoft Teams. It comes through an email alert that you missed a message. It's abusing those trusted relationships to get somebody to click. So the the flow, I'm curious, is it really just send a file and hope somebody downloads it? Or you know, is there a preamble, like you know, sort of a conversation starter of some sort, or or do you have any sort of inclination of what that what that normally is looking like? Yeah, it, I think it's gonna depend, right? Uh on the attacker and who they're attacking. Uh so it there's a lot of opportunities there, right? Uh, if your team's platform allows you to attach files and um, you know send links and things like that, then all that's available to you. And really, the, the sky's the limit as far as what you want to do. Um, but again, I think kind of to Steve's point, it's you trust that person because you work with them. Right. You, you have no reason to believe it's not that person sending you that message. So, you know, if you if you get a spreadsheet that says you know whatever it is, uh, I don't know orders for this week, you're going to open it, trusting that it's a good document. And that's where it's easy to just install macros or have that be a separate type of payload. Um, I mean, it's so difficult. I have no idea. You know, we, we tell everybody, you know, look at links and emails and, you know, try to understand a little bit the language being used. But the reality is that's a short form communication. You're usually getting, you know, maybe a sentence. Uh, it, it's hard and it's hard to discern tone. It's hard to, to sort of discern intent. Yeah. And it, this is where you have to rely on your uh, identity systems at this point for this. And it's a shame that, quite honestly, Microsoft makes this somewhat unattainable for some companies. You need a pretty high level of uh, uh, Microsoft 365 licensing to get things like your identity defender. You know, this is something that a risky sign-on would probably catch, where they'd be asked for multi-factor or something like that. Um, 
if they uh, are coming from a different country or if they're coming from somewhere that they don't typically come from that usually is marked. Mm. Um, if you don't have that, then you know, you're kind of susceptible to this. And unfortunately, most orgs don't actually deploy those things. Right. And at the end of the day, even if you don't work with, even if the recipient doesn't work with the impersonated individual, they're probably going to try to be helpful and say, hey, you know, I don't really know what this is, but maybe you want to go check with so-and-so, which maybe means the attack is thwarted for the first recipient, but then they're being redirected to a better one. So, you know, just it's an abuse of trust as usual. Now, it, we have other examples of this. Uh, we've heard of uh, other collaboration platforms, starting with G, that you'd recognize being used in the same Yeah, yeah it's not team-specific. Right. It's distributing messages without the, hey, it's from an external sender flag in an email um, or using internal pathways that are trusted. Same deal. Um, so, you know, this hits our you know, sort of current topic piece. You know, how current is this? I, I don't know that we've, we haven't managed an incident, I don't think, that has had a, a, you know, a collaborative tool issue as its genesis, right? Uh, in this particular case, the Teams uh, news that was disclosed is as recent as February 17th. So, so incredibly recent. For right. This one. Now, obviously, I was referring to Google. Yeah. The Google Groups, Google Domain uh, attack is, you know, also this month. So, uh, and and not just one organization. This is uh, across several, and it's a fairly um, publicized attack, but same vector. So, that, I mean, certainly something to keep an eye on then and to see how if they start getting used more and more prevalently. And the reality is, you know, I think we're better at detecting your traditional email-based phishing. Uh, this is just another way of hopefully getting in front of somebody and and sort of executing something in based, uh, under the basis of trust. Um, so you know, moving on a little bit, things that we're encountering as we talk to clients. Uh, you know, and for me, the, you know, the thing that jumps out for sure seems to be cyber liability insurance, right? We did, we did a whole episode basically on sort of the new requirements. I feel like every customer that we have is is either renewing policies or maybe looking for new policies, right? And 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 addressing some of the gaps that they have relative to some of the new requirements. Right. I mean, I have four or five uh, applications that I'm facilitating for organizations right now with different carriers. It doesn't really matter. The, the workflow is the same. Um, similarly, as an outgrowth of that, we're dealing with uh, implementations to resolve some of the things that cyber liability insurers have you know, earmarked as requirements for getting the policy, MFA being a great example. Um, it's a you know, direct outgrowth of cyber liability. Um, I don't have a count of how many customers we have doing that. Yeah, it's been quite a few. It, between the between MFA, EDR, uh, some SIM implementations, it's, there's been quite a bit that people are trying to get out there and be reactive and proactive based on, you know, where they are in that cycle. But the, uh, the insurance requirements are definitely pushing quite a few projects in that direction. So, and, and, you know, they're frankly all reasonable things to implement, right? If we go back a little bit to the, the team's discussion we just had, you, you're pushing MFA and you're adding that second factor is a protector against something like that. So there's, you know, there's, there's good reason to do these and you understand why they're pushing it. It's just the time frame for some of the, for some of the clients that we're seeing and, and the, the time they need to actually deal with this is pretty short. And so, you know, extensions are often being asked for or, you know, potentially even pushing off renewal a little bit. Right. And sometimes that's not possible. Things are co-termed. Things right. are, you know, and year end, fiscal year end, it's coming up quick. Um, for those orgs that are June based or May based for some EDU, you know, the clock is ticking very quickly. Uh, others have, you know, maybe a few months additional runway, but it's not a lot. So outside of, Cyber liability insurance. Uh, anything jump out to either of you? 
many requests from a policy and procedure standpoint. And, you know, a, a lot of them come from the we need policies because we don't have them standpoint. Realistically, you know, the policy development, policy implementation and policy uh, review, it, we're seeing activity in all aspects of that. Uh, some orgs have really well-developed policy lifecycle management. Others don't, but they're all beginning to recognize that the policies that they've left in draft form for five years really <laughs> do need to be finished. Right. Or, you know, the policies that they didn't think about that outside entities are beginning to demand, you know, the, the attention's understood and efforts being invested toward actually resolving those issues. And I, I think some of that's coming from the fact that you know, quite a few companies have come to us and you know said, "Hey, we have money to spend right now. Let's let's do some projects." And you know, policy uh, tends to be one of those things that they kind of put on the back burners because a lot of people don't want to do it, right? Um, but now they've got some money to go and get some help to do it. Um, I think a lot of it's coming out of the pandemic. I think companies are loosening their purse strings a little bit to spend money on things that they haven't for a while. So I think that's why we're seeing some of that. Yeah, and in fairness, you're having a documented. You know, a document set of policies, you know, incident response, acceptable use, maybe an information security plan of some sort, you know, that'll help drive your security program anyway. So there's a there's a real practical value for looking at, you know, what do what you know, what do you want as an entity to look like from a security perspective? And then, you know, starting to starting to actually then do projects you know, in in concert with your policy framework. Right. And I, I think that the other concern behind that and the other motivator is simply that there are two years of audits being suspended and yep. suddenly they're right. resuming. Yeah, they're kicking back yeah. in. So things are ramping back up and the area of focus has shifted a little bit given the freedom to operate from home, the loosening of uh, in, you know employee procedures, onboarding and so forth. It, now the policies are seen as the mechanism for enforcement and the mechanism for getting rigidity back on the table where it's maybe been surrendered for the last yeah, couple it, cycles. These companies are fundamentally different now and how they work. So it makes sense that the policies would need to change too. Yeah. And I think we talked a little bit about trying to do a, a policies podcast. I think with the, with the challenge being, how do you make policies uh, really interesting for 15 or 20 minutes? Uh, but I'm confident, you know, even just walking through the common policy set that we're sort of being asked to create and, and assist with, I think would be valuable. So well, along with the dangers of overly prescriptive yeah, policies. Yeah, for sure. Or, or yeah, writing ones that you can't comply with, right? <laughs> so you write it and then you find you're out of <laughs> compliance immediately. Yeah. So um, I think maybe security awareness, right? Could be one of the other things probably that I feel like all of a sudden we're doing a bunch more, um, possibly tied to the cyber liability side a little bit, you know, maybe also somewhat to the, the regulatory and audit side, but people are more comfortable getting in groups now to actually yeah, that's fair. have group based. Yeah, you know, I know we're scheduling some right now where there's some group based ones that we're doing, which hasn't happened for a while. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And the in-person, I mean, we generally focus on the in-person part of the training, uh, which I think is, is, is great if you can manage it, but you know, the, the video based stuff can be, can be good as well. Um, so I think those are probably the sort of the three, the kind of the three things that jumped out sort of to me over the last, I don't know, say month or two, uh, cyber liability, I feel like you're driving, driving some of the conversations. Uh, I think your point about audits kicking back up, uh, is well made for sure as well. Right. So. I mean, that's what the the background noise of your your usual vulnerability assessments and things of that variety. But those are those are constants. Right. Um, th these represent somewhat uh, new attention, I'd say. Okay, that's fair. Um, well, I think that brings us up, you know, roughly against our our time here. 
As always, thanks for joining us today. Uh, we hope you got some value out of this. But of course, if you want to continue the conversation, feel free to reach out to us at Vancord at LinkedIn or Vancord Security on Twitter. Stay vigilant. Stay resilient. This has been CyberSound.